You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful to be in the presence of your people and to be in your presence. And we pray that you would make your spirit known here. We pray that you would come and open up our ears, our eyes, soften our hearts. And you'd speak deeply uh, to us. And you would touch us and transform us. And you would send us out as people who um, could not keep silent. We pray that you'd make yourself known amongst us and amongst the people we live and love. And uh, we pray that you'd be glorified. Amen. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tom Parker. I'm, I have a privilege of getting to come here and be a part of this worshiping community. Pleasure to be with you all. I, I want to tell you a story about a minister that I know. Um, I'm just going to call him A for short and protect some sort of confidentiality, I suppose. Um, he uh, grew up in a minister's family. Um, in fact, that not only was his father a minister, but his grandfather was a minister, and really a bunch of generations prior to that. And I don't know if you know this, but for people who grew up in ministers' families or preachers' families or missionary families, there's often like a little two-letter um, mnemonic for them, either a PK or an MK. And, um, it, and it's, for some people to be a PK is a burden. It's the last thing they want to be. They just they don't want to live under the expectation of being a minister's kid or a preacher's kid or a missionary kid. It's, just, it's painful for them because of the expectations. And I've known some people who have had to deal with that. Um, But this was not true for A. A uh, grew up in this family, and for him it was privilege. It was joy. Uh, We we might say that for A, God came easy. God was just easy for his life. He liked God. He loved God. He enjoyed being about the things of God, and he thought of his life as privilege, that he got to have a father who loved God who worshiped God, and A loved listening to Holy Scripture, loved hearing it, wanted to know it, memorized it, really pressed it upon his heart. He a, as a little one through his life, it's just part of who he was, and loved going with his father to worship, to be with the people of God in the presence of God, and just to be in awe of this God who is beyond everything. I just was awed by God, and grateful, and, and knew he just knew from, from little early on that this was his calling as well. Ministry was going to be where he was going to go. And he was enthralled, excited, delighted that God would be so gracious to, us, to allow him to have this, this gift, this calling upon his life. Um, he ended up marrying B, And let me tell you a little about B. She, um, she, she also grew up in a minister's family. And she was like A in this regard. She loved it. it just, like, just like A, B found God to be easy. It just was, yeah, God. And she had the same delight in listening to the Holy Scripture, to knowing it, to wanting to do it, to live it out, and thought it a privilege to have a father and grandfather and successive generations back. Loved it. And just knew that this was going to be a part of her life for all of her life. And A and B got married. 
and their first year was a precious marriage. It just, she enjoyed being a part of his work. He it loved ministry. And, and a second year happened in their marriage, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth. And then occasionally um, they would be aware of the fact that something was not happening that they wanted in their lives. They were expecting children, just something they were hoping for. And of course, occasionally someone makes the moronic comment of like, when are you gonna have kids? As if it's something they can just turn a switch and decide to have kids. You know, sometimes people just aren't thoughtful about the things that they say to people who don't have children. So a sixth year goes by, and a seventh, and an eighth, and a ninth, and a tenth, and still no children. Now this did not impact their faith, their hope, their love for God, but it did become a big point of prayer, lament, complaint to the one whom they loved. Lord, this is what we want. A point of conversation with each other, a point of engaging God in this way, and soon 10 became 15, and 15 became 20, and 20 became 25, and 25 became 30, and 30 became 35, and this desire that they had began to become a thing that they thought they would never have. A tells this story. He was leading this um, outdoor prayer service. And I'm going to tell you a quick, quick tangent for a moment, just a quick tangent. Reading this biography on John Paul II, it's, it's too big, I've, I've just slowed down. Every Christmas Eve in a particular town, there was no Catholic church in communist Poland at that time. So he would hold an open-aired mass in Poland on Christmas Eve, and thousands of people would show up for an open-aired mass in Poland in December. You know, I mean, the only people I can think of do that are Green Bay Packer fans, right? I mean, you know, I mean that 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 is that is just an amazing thing, right? This outdoor prayer service. So back to the story. So A is A is leading this prayer service, and um has a, a moment, you know, like, in, you know, COVID was, we did some of that as well. And I had this moment where he had to go into the sanctuary. And he says, you know, I'm in the sanctuary, and all of a sudden I'm looking, and there's, there's someone, and it's not really a someone, but it's not a something. And he realizes there's, there's this presence that he can't name. And he's freaked out by this. He understands it's something from God, a messenger. You might call it an angel. And he is freaked out. Imagine by yourself in your favorite church sanctuary, and it's just you and... And so he's terrified. And he says, this messenger says to me, don't be afraid. And I'm thinking to myself, easy for you to say. Easy, easy for you to say, buddy. And then he says to me, your prayer has been heard. And then he says, you and B are going to have a son. And I say, <laughs> I say, 
how do I know this is supposed to happen? I, I say to an angel of God, how do I know this is supposed to happen? Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, uh, verses 5 through 25. Listen to the word of God. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter into the sanctuary of, of the Lord and offer incense now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord and have been sent to speak this good news to you and to bring you this, this good news. But now, because you've not believed these words, which will be fulfilled in its time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were standing, waiting for Zechariah, and wondered at his delay at the sanctuary. When he did not come out, um, when he did come out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth 
conceived. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me. When he looked favorably upon me and took away the disgrace that I endured among my people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <sighs> Sorry for that. Always should mute the mic before I do that sort of thing. Um, I'm hoping it's not lost on you that A is Zechariah from the Abijah group and B is Elizabeth, um, and that's who they are. And uh, it's a stunning story to me that God would break into the lives of two people in such a way, but I, it shouldn't be lost upon us that this has been a long thing in their lives. Um, in that society, in our society, if a woman's not, giving, uh, not having a child and wants to have a child, it's hard, it's painful, it's meaningful. But there isn't public shame. Unless, of course, someone asks a dumb question like, oh, when are you going to have kids? Um, it, there isn't shame. There isn't some sort of thing that's given in our culture. And you, if you hear Elizabeth at the end, she says, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably upon me and took away the disgrace that I endured from my people. In that culture, that was a marker of shame. Like, what's the matter with these two? What do you, you think there's some sin going on in their life? What's, what's up? And Luke wants to take great lengths to say to us up front, these people are righteous and blameless. So just in case you think there's a reason they're not having a kid, it is not due to that. They're righteous. They're blameless. This is who they are. They love God. So Zechariah is in one of 24 groups of priests. Every, every week, one of those 24 groups kind of circles through. This is the eighth group, the group of Abijah. And he gets chosen by lot, which we realize someone's hands in this lottery, right? Someone's fixing the lottery, right? God has, has made a little choice as to who gets it. You only get to do this once. So this is a big deal. So imagine there's, there's this court where Gentiles, and this is not the way I would design worship, it was. Gentiles and women were here. This next court is this is where men are here. And then there's this sanctuary that only, only the priests could go in, and, and that's pretty limited. And then there's this, so that's kind of a holy space. And then there's this holy of holies, which is only entered once a year by the chief priest. So into this holy space, Zechariah has gone in with a, with a, a co-worker. The co-worker is carrying in the coals, probably. And Zechariah is carrying in a, a great deal of incense. The co-worker places those things down on this incredibly aesthetically beautiful gold-plated um, altar for incense and probably walks out the coal bearer, and then Zechariah puts this stuff down. And incense, if you don't know, in, in worship is symbolic of the prayers of the people. So we, just, we have this thematic thing going on of prayer. Zechariah and Elizabeth have this prayer that's going on. There's a whole host of people praying out there, and here is Zechariah on this momentous day of ministry in this holy space, doing what he has longed for, and he gets to be picked, and he puts incense down, and that would be enough. That would be incredible. And as he steps back, there's someone else there. And he's freaked out. And you know, I'm very sympathetic to Zechariah. I'm very, very, uh, just very sympathetic. In, in this room, by the way, just an assumption, but statistically from certain statistics I've read, and how do, how do we really verify this, 
probably about half of you have had an experience where God has really met you. Um, just really met you. What does that mean for the other half of you? God trusts you enough that you don't have to have that experience and love him. That's what it means. That's what it means. It isn't, it isn't those people are better. What's the matter with me? It's not like that. And those of you who've had that experience, there's nothing wrong with you that God gave you that experience. It's a grace that God has given you an experience like that. How, how wonderful that God has shown up in your life. What, what a profound thing. God shows up in mundane and spectacular. And if you notice that often, if you read carefully, like in Abraham's life, God only, only shows up to Abraham about four times over 25 years. So it's not like a frequent thing. Right? So here's this angel. And, and I just love the graciousness of the angel. Because I can, we have no pictures of angels, right? There are no photographs, no videos, nothing. And there are no real big descriptions of them. But I'm sure it's momentous. And this angel's kindness is to speak this first word, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And then the second word of power, your prayer has been heard. Wow. You and Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will call him John. Wow. And then he just goes on through this description of this, of this child, who this child is going to be. So this answer to prayer is not merely for, for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's for something for them. It's gift. They'll be glad. They'll be rejoicing. People will come alongside and party with them. But this child is something bigger than merely what they want. It's not merely just filling a little cavity in the home. This child is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit before the child's even born. And this child is going to turn the hearts of the people to the Lord. And that's such important words for me, and I think for you as well. That God in his kindness would turn our hearts towards the Lord, the maker of all that is. The one who sustains, redeems, is present even now, right now. He's going to turn our hearts to the Lord. And by doing that, he's going to turn the hearts of parents to their children. Don't think that turning our hearts to the Lord is merely so we just have this momentous experience of the Lord. It means it changes the way we engage everyone else. Parents begin to care even more deeply or correctly for their children. Sinners will be turned to the wisdom of the righteous. Now, the danger is in our country, in the culture that we live in, the terms righteousness and holiness have, I think, bad connotation. Because I think we kind of lump them up with certain religious groups, and I think also the media plays on certain tropes um, and, and screws those things up. But holiness, righteous living, would mean I would be loving. If I'm righteous, you would know it by the gracious, kind, generous, big heart that I would have and the way you'd watch me interact with my children, my grandchildren, my wife, my neighbors, there would be something just spectacularly different about me. That's what righteous and holy living looks like. I would not be doing asinine things. That holiness is an opposite of things, right? There are things I should not do. My wife could give you a list, right? My children could give you a list. I think even my grandchildren are capable of, you know, don't do these things, right? It's, but it's not merely nots, it's twos and fours and towards. And this is what this kid is going to do. And it's going to be great rejoicing. But John's trajectory is powerful. 
And the impact of what John will do, he's worth paying attention to throughout the Gospels. And John's end will not be an end of rejoicing. John's end will be a precursor to a crucified Savior. Because John will be beheaded for being faithful, filled with the Spirit, and proclaiming and drawing people towards God. Because he will be unrelenting in the way he talks about relationships. Zechariah makes this interesting statement to the angel. How can this be? Now, I am intrigued by this statement because this is a man who's thoroughly acquainted with the Torah, with the prophets, with the writings. And if you're acquainted with the first five books of the Bible and the next grouping of the Bible and the third grouping of the Bible, you would know that Abraham and Sarah had a problem kind of like Zechariah's. And God did an amazing thing when they were in their 90s. You would think he should know better. He might be aware of Isaac and Rebecca's story, Rachel's story, Hannah's story. There are a lot. Every time we, in the Old Testament we seem to meet barrenness, we seem to watch God do something amazing with barrenness in the Old Testament. So it is kind of surprising that he does it, but listening is an emotional thing. It's hard to listen when you're freaked out. When you're in the presence of an angel, I want to give Zechariah credit. Like, <laughs> right, how do you take in that material of what is going on? And so when Zechariah goes, how, how am I supposed to know? Like, I don't know, man, it's just the first thing out of his mouth, right? It's, it is a really dumb statement, to which I genuinely imagine Gabriel just going, huh, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. I've come to tell you this good news. Uh, because you don't believe me, you're going to be mute till this happens. I think the muteness, the silence, is three things. It is a judgment. It is a judgment. Later on, if you read carefully in the story, you will hear Elizabeth say to Mary, blessed is she who believed what the Lord did. That's, that's beautiful. It's equally interesting, as one commentator points out, that the voice the male voice gets quieted and the women's voices come to life in the first chapter. And we will watch Zechariah's voice come back. So I, I think there's judgment here. I also think it's a sign. It's a sign that is unimaginable to everyone who's standing outside as well as to the family and to him. No one in my family can imagine me silent for nine months. My guess is no one could imagine you being silent in your family for nine months. It's an impossibility. The idea of me having to be silent, that would be hard for me. But that would be a sign for me. That would be an unforgettable sign. If I ever wondered, well, what did I, oh yeah, that's right, I couldn't talk for nine months. Yeah, yeah, that happened. That's right, that happened. Yeah, okay, I'm not nuts. That really happened. It's a sign, it's a sign, and it's, it's a powerful sign that happens. So it's a judgment, it's a sign, and I think it's a grace. I think it's a grace for him to ponder, to think, and to go, huh. Because what did happen to him? God sent an angel to him to tell him not to be afraid and that his prayer has been heard and he's going to have a son and name him John. Isn't that not a bad thing to have to think about for nine months? That's pretty good stuff to have to think about for nine months. Well, Nine months uh, goes by, and it never flies by, but once you're there, it's flown by. Time always has that fascinating quality of just speeding up. And, and so we, we hear about the birth of John, 
Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. This is in the first chapter of the 57th verse. Time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. The Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Just what the angel said. Joy, gladness, people will rejoice with you. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, a good marker of the covenant of the people of Israel. And they earned the name of Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. They said, there were none of your relatives go by that name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what, he wanted, what name he wanted to give him. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. Just at the naming. All of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed and he began speaking, praising God. Fear came upon all the neighbors and all these things were talking about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. And all who heard them pondered them and, and said, what then will this child become? For indeed the hand of the Lord was with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. For he has looked favorably upon his people and redeemed them. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior in the house of his servant David. He spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets of old that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown mercy and promised to our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of the salvation to his people by the forgiveness of sins, by the tender mercy of our God. The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. The story is a story that God is worthy to be praised. God is worthy to praise. He he sends an angel from time to time and breaks in in some profound ways. He sends his prophets. He makes promises to Abraham, to David. He is worthy to be praised. And God keeps his promises such that he sends his own son who comes willingly, who becomes enfleshed, incarnate. But before that one, he sends a messenger and he does it in such a way that all of us, if we're paying attention to slowly reading the story, go, oh my God, it's God. What in the world? And this, this John is faithful to a brutal call, an astounding call, but loves God like his parents loves God. And he ends up baptizing the one whom he knows he shouldn't baptize, but Jesus insists upon it anyways. And he will die a death of a martyr to foreshadow the death of our Savior who comes to do the same, to live for us, to show us what the image of God really looks like, how anyone made in his image would actually act and behave. 
and to redeem us, to die for us, to be risen for us, to ascend and to reign even now as Lord, Savior, God. This is what this story tells us. I pray that, I pray that God's Spirit would draw me, would draw you deep into this preparation, this time of Advent, that we might be expectant, hoping, longing to hear, and we would not be afraid. We'd be open to the promises. We would rejoice and be glad. And that we would become, in the best sense of these terms, holy and righteousness, displaying the love and light of God that others would come to know and to praise him. May these, this things happen for his glory. Would you pray with me?